So, Father, we, we come to you with grateful hearts for a great, powerful God who would change the life of um, so many. God, as we watch these baptisms, we're reminded of the power of the gospel, that through profession of our faith, that we would be buried with Christ and raised to walk in newness of life. Father, just an outward expression of what you've done inwardly in the life of so many people, God. To see um, kids in middle school and a senior citizen, God, all born again, reminds us of what it's ultimately all about. Thank you, Lord. How great is our God. Thank you, God, for the power of salvation. Our hearts are filled with gratitude. We pray now that God, you would use your word in the next few minutes. You would hide my brothers and my sisters from what would be my opinion. You'd give us, God, what would be your truth. Um, use your word now, Lord, in a powerful way. Amen. Hey, as you're having a seat, can we thank our worship team for leading us this morning? How are you? You're doing well? Man. Man, it never gets old, does it? It never ever gets old to watch baptisms because they are such an act of worship. It's such an opportunity for us to watch just again an outward expression of what God has done inwardly in the life of an individual. There's not a perfect, a better song, a more perfect song than How Great Is Our God, uh, you know, as the pad uh, as we watch these baptisms because again, um, it, we're not saying that, that, that the people being baptized are great. We're celebrating them because God is great in them. And walk in newness of life as they get out of the pool is that they're going to now get to be billboards for the glory of God. And uh, that song that we were just singing, How Great Is Our God, is actually inspired out of a place in Scripture that we're going to study together uh, this morning. If you've been with us this summer, you know that we've been studying Old Testament characters. We've been going OG, old school with this thing, all right? And, and uh, this summer we've studied people like Jonah in the Bible and we've studied Gideon in the Bible. And this morning uh, we're going to look at uh, the prophet Isaiah. And the song we were just singing uh, was written by a guy named Chris Tomlin, birthed out of this passage in Isaiah 6-1, where Isaiah sees the splendor of a king, clothed in majesty, wraps himself in light, and Isaiah's response to that is that God is great and that he is not. That God is high and that he is low. There's a humbling that happens. And then there is a salvation, a searing altar moment of, of, of surrender that happens. And then there's ascending that happens. And we're going to study that together uh, this morning. So if you do have your Bibles, if you'll go with me uh, to Isaiah 6. And we're going to look at Isaiah 6, uh, 1 through 8 together. This is a particular moment in the life of the prophet Isaiah. And uh, what I mean by that is that um, most theologians believe that what we're about to read was written over 20 years post the moment that it happened. Isaiah's journaling about this out of his diary. Well, not diary, because he's a man. Journal, all right? And as he's journaling about this, uh, most theologians believe that although you're going to see vivid detail, that it's again over 20 years later that he's chronicling what had happened. But what happens is that something traumatic, something so profound, something so great happens in a way where it just marks you forever. Some of you know what I mean when I say there are these moments in life where you never get over the moment. 
Maybe the trajectory of everything shifts past that moment. Something happens that's so great that you remember details about it years and years later. I remember September 11th, for example. I remember uh, getting out of the airport early that morning. I'd flown in. I had an early, early flight, and I got in my pickup truck. I know I'm, I'm an Iranian, all right, but I'm a country boy, or I'm a redneck Iranian, all right? So I got in my pickup truck, and I was listening to country music going home, and they interrupted in the middle of a Keith Urban song. They, like, literally stopped the song and said, folks, sorry to break into it at this moment, but we need to tell you um, America is under attack. And they told us about how, uh, on the radio, I remember they told us about how two different planes that hit the two different towers and, and the, the country music DJ said, um, if you're the praying kind, we ask you to pray. I turned the radio off. I called my wife. She was already weeping on the phone. She said, David, do you know what's going on? I said, yeah. She goes, are you home safe? I said, yeah, I'm home. She goes, please get home. And I, and I got home. I walked in my house. I remember the house smelled like pot roast. <laughs> I remember exactly what was happening. I remember what my wife was wearing. I remember what I was wearing. Because why? That day seemed to shift. It was a moment, and I remember crazy details. Years and years later, I remember crazy details about it. I remember being in the eighth grade um, and walking in the library to, to give blood because this girl that I really liked was giving blood, and, and so I didn't want to help people. I just wanted to be in the same room as her, plus, plus it got me out of a test. So I went to give blood, and I remember giving blood and watching the space shuttle blow up. And the weird thing is they'd given us now and laters to say thanks, you know? And so every time I see a now and later, I remember the space shuttle blowing up. I remember crazy details. Some of you older folks remember when Elvis died. You remember what you were wearing? You remember where you were at work when you found out that Elvis died? Some of you older, older folks remember when it wouldn't stop raining and some dude was building an ark. You remember <laughs> what robe you were wearing or whatever. And the truth of the matter is, you know what I mean. You remember when you got news that everything shifted, when you got news that, that changed everything about the trajectory of your life. And Isaiah is looking back over 20 years and he remembers vivid details because it marked his life. It marked his life. And we're going to read about this moment that marked his life. And what's interesting is this is by far the greatest moment of his life because God was so great to him in this moment but it's in a moment of incredible hardship as well. Let's just begin to read it together. Isaiah says this. He says, it was in the year, in the year that King Uzziah died, it was in that year that I saw the Lord. Now, we're gonna keep reading in just a second, but let me give you a little context about this text. Isaiah and Uzziah were dear friends. They weren't just dear friends. They served in governance together. And as the prophet and the king, they were locked and loaded. They were, they were dovetailed together in this relationship. But Uzziah and Isaiah were dear friends. And so this was the year Isaiah is looking back on where he lost a dear friend. He lost a great leader. He lost a great king. Everybody, everybody in the nation loved their king, their king Uzziah. He was a popular king. I know that's hard for us these days in our political world to think about, you know, that, that somebody would be popular with both sides of the aisle. But this wasn't like, you know, Uzziah started this thing called Uzziah Care, and half the people were like, why are we paying for this? All right. No, Uzziah was loved by everyone. He had brought peace. He had brought prosperity to the land. And everyone loved this king who had governed for over 50 years. And then he kind of fumbles the ball on the back end, at the, almost at the end zone of his, of his reign. And then there's this death 
and and the entire nation is in mourning and Uzziah isn't just in mourning because he's lost the king he's lost a dear friend and the application to that is that the greatest moment in the life of this man is in the valley of the shadow of death. Some of us think that the great moments of our lives must happen when we're in the midst of a promotion, but not necessarily in the midst of, of a demotion. Some of us feel like the greatest moments of our life is when great things happen, not when grieving things happen. When grieving things happen, we feel like God's really left us. But the reality is so many people can look back on the trajectory of their life and say it was when the cancer came back that God really, really showed up in my life. It was when I was going to the valley and not the mountaintop. When I, when I look back now and go, you know what? I, I didn't want the pain, but in that test, there was a testimony that came out of it. And Isaiah's going, I remember exactly when it was. I remember in that mourning moment, in that, in that hardship moment, in that moment of lament, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And I saw him, I had this vision of God. And his vision was that God was high and exalted, seated on a throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above God were these seraphim, each with six wings, and with two wings they covered their faces, and with two wings they covered their feet, and with two wings they were flying, and they were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. Can I just say this to you? That's not what they were doing. That is what they are doing. Isaiah has this encounter with God and he gets a vision of God. And as he gets a vision of God, he sees that, it, and that God is seated high and God is majestic and the train of his robe is filling the temple and these angelic beings are around God and they are ascribing to God the one preeminent truth about God that is over every other truth about God. Ascribing to God that he's holy, he's holy, holy, that he's holy, holy, holy. If you're taking notes... The word holy means set apart. The, holy, the word holy means distinct. The word holy means to be different. And what they're saying is that God, you're not just set apart, but you're set apart, set apart. You're not just set apart, set apart. You're, you're set apart, set apart, set apart. You're not just extraordinary. You're extraordinary, extraordinary, extraordinary. You're not just perfect. You're perfect, perfect, perfect. The truth about God is that God is many things, but everything he is is scattered, covered, and smothered in his holiness. We can say a lot of things about God, right? We can say a lot of things about God. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, we can say, for example, that God is love. Amen? I mean, most of us can testify to the love of God. And God is love. And that's the truth about God. But it doesn't say in the Bible that God is love, love, love. We can say about God that God is merciful. God is patient. God is kind. God is slow to anger. We can also say about God that God is jealous. We can say about God that God is wrathful. I know we don't sing that. How great is his wrath. We don't sing about that. But God is a wrathful God. But the reality of God is that, that we don't like to talk about his jealousy or we don't like to talk about his anger or we don't like to talk about his wrath because we see those as negative things. But the, the wrath of God is a holy wrath. The love of God is a holy love. The, the mercy of God is a holy. Everything about God is holy. Does that make sense? 
And Isaiah says, in the year King Uzziah died, I had a vision of God. And God was high and he was lifted up and, in the and he was majestic and he was all powerful. He wasn't pacing around going, what are we going to do? Uzziah just died. He was seated on a throne. He was completely at ease. And that God that I had a vision of was holy, holy, holy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth was full of his glory. And Isaiah has this glory, glorious moment. And in that moment, as he gets that vision of God, the first thing, and there's two points here, is this, is that it marks him. If you're taking notes, let me just say this. When you have a vision of God, when you have an encounter with God, it marks you forever. That's why 20 plus years later, Isaiah is looking back and he can give you vivid detail because what happened on that day, he never got over. He says, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And his response is an interesting one. When he sees this response, his response is simply to this. Woe to me. Woe to me, he says. Woe to me, for I am ruined. If you're visiting here this morning, uh, uh, and maybe you, you have a friend who got baptized or a family member who got baptized, or if you're visiting here and your, your friend's been inviting you for a while and you came here this morning, I've got wonderful news for you. Number one, I'm so excited that you're here today. I hope you feel the hospitality that I feel whenever I come here today. These are some incredibly extraordinary people. I hope you sense the warmth and the hospitality of it. But I also have, second of all, great news for you. God loves you and wants to ruin your life. Because when I read this passage, what I see is Isaiah has an encounter with God. And when he has this encounter with God, his response is, woe to me. Woe means judgment. He says, judgment to me. He realizes God is high. God is holy, holy, holy. He realizes he's unholy, unholy, unholy without God. And that there's a humbling in him. And he says, woe to me, I am ruined. I have wonderful news for you if you're visiting today. God loves you and wants to ruin you. If you're going, well, what does that mean? That does not sound very super friendly. I just wanted to tell you, it's the most loving thing I could say to you about our God. Because it's not that God loves you and wants to ruin you as in God wants to destroy you. No, as a matter of fact, you on your own are doing just fine in destroying your own life. Especially when you're seated on your own throne and trying to play the role that God only wants to play in your life. God loves you and he wants to ruin you. Some of you are headed towards a destruction and God wants to ruin it towards ruin that destination and head you towards salvation. Some of you have an inconsistent reputation and God wants to create in you a consistent reputation of being dependable. Some of you, if people were to say things about you at your funeral, they'd say you're trigger happy, you're a liar, you're inconsistent, you made a lot of broken promises. God wants to destroy all of those things that are broken about you and restore in you a whole new you. The night, the night I was 18 and two months old and God saved me, the night I had my Isaiah 6-1 moment, the night that I can look back in my life and say, God became great in my life, I was headed towards everything in my life being completely in shambles. And then God showed up and shifted the very trajectory of my life. He didn't clean up my behavior. He brought me to the end of myself and created in me a whole new me. That's what Isaiah's saying. He's saying, woe to me, I am Ruined. Another um, translation in scripture says, woe to me, I am destroyed. Another version says, woe to me, I am at the end of myself. Another translation of the Bible says, literally, woe to me, I am undone. And the takeaway in that is that when we have an encounter with God, it greatly marks us forever. 
Because when God and man collide, when God and man meet, man is left never the same. I was driving here this morning, uh, got out of the hotel, got in my rental car, running about two, three minutes late. So I was like, I'll catch up by going a little faster, you know, and I get on the highway and I'm heading here to the, to the church and all of a sudden I hear this noise. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's like, what is that noise? So I pull over and uh, I had a flat tire. So I text, you know, my, my contact here and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be running a few minutes late. And I, and I start trying to change the tire. I go get the tire out of the back and, and I'm changing the tire. And while I'm bent down changing the tire, I hear this noise and I look and this 18 wheeler is coming around the bend around 70 miles an hour. And I went like this, but it still hit me at about 70 miles an hour. The 18 wheeler just, just nailed me. It just hit me and it just rammed me against the car and I went across the median and, and honestly, I'm so sorry, but I was 14 minutes late getting here. Do you believe me? <laughs> I love the, the look on some of your faces. You, sir, in the front row, you were like, what is wrong with you? There's no way that happened. Why do you not believe me? Is it because I'm from Iran? Is that what's going on? Well, come on, y'all. You know why you don't believe me? Because the math doesn't check out. That's not possible, right? It's not possible that I would hit an 18-wheeler at eight, 75 miles an hour and that all that would result in is a bump in where I would, I would be, like the result of hitting an 18-wheeler would be 14 minutes late. <laughs> now look at me. What I'm saying to you is so much bigger than an 18-wheeler. The God of this universe the God of this universe in, in, in an encounter with him meets man. And there's no way that you go, I remember when I was in Sunday school and I was seven years old and I didn't used to be religious, but then all of a sudden I went to VBS, somebody flannel graphed some Jesus story for me, and all of a sudden the next thing you know, I started going to church. That's a bump in. At best, God, that becomes somebody who cleans up some of your act. But God's not interested in a little bump in with you. God's interested in an encounter with you where he brings us to the end of ourselves. Some of us, we go, I used to go to church, and I used to not go to church, but then I started going to church, and now I'm not cussing as much as I used to. And God's going, I want so much more for you than that. I used to not have any of God in my life, but then all of a sudden I started praying, and now I have some of God in my life. But the reality is that God is not seated on a throne high and lifted up in our lives. God is like, not the Lord, but a personal assistant. <laughs> Somebody we go to once in a while when there's a need. We treat God like a waiter. Hey, God, I come to you whenever there's a need, whenever I need you to bring something to me, get something to me. By the way, if you're going to treat God like a waiter, at least start tithing 15 to 18% because that's what a waiter gets at your local Applebee's. But God's not interested. God's not interested in being your Lord and waiter. And that's why Isaiah has this encounter with God, and it's an accurate vision of God. God is the one high and exalted and seated on a throne, but yet God is the one so much in love with us that he would humble himself to come and love us and save us. And what does God do? He comes in and he says, I want to ruin, but it's not that I want to destroy, it's that I want to restore your life. And there's no way that salvation becomes behavior modification, a bump in. No, no, no. Salvation becomes complete transformation. One time um, I was uh, driving down the road and um, down this like dirt road uh, in my car. And I was literally going like 15 miles an hour. And I, and I hit this deer. 
it was kind of weird. I don't know how this deer, like, somehow, like, got, but I, I just I hit this deer, and I, and I got out of the car, and the deer was kind of breathing, you know, and I, I guess I'd hit it in the head or whatever, and I was looking at this deer, and it was kind of moving around, and, and this guy pulls up behind me. Yeah, he's in this Nissan, like, Sentra, like, this tiny little car, and he goes, he goes, are you all right? I said, yeah, there was a, there was a deer. I just hit it, and he goes, uh, you going to eat it? You going to take it with you? I was like, I'm good. That tells you I was in Alabama. All right, he goes, you sure? I said, sure. So I, I drive around the deer, and as I was leaving, that guy was literally looking at it, and, and he was pulling up his Nissan. He had opened up the back door. He was, like, trying to, like, figure out how to get it in the car. <laughs> and I was like, that is so weird. And I went, and the next day I was at this event, and I was telling my friend about how, like, I had hit the steer, and the guy was like, was there any damage to the car at all? I was like, no, not even, like, a, like, like nothing on my car. It was just kind of weird. I hit the steer. About two weeks later, I was in the car with my buddy, another friend of mine, and uh, he was driving, and uh, I, was, I was going down the road with him, and he, he, he hit a deer while we were in the car. When we hit the deer, it, it did some damage to the paint job of the car. It did some, it, it actually, the deer hit, went up and kind of like cracked the windshield and actually like hopped into the woods. So we never even saw the deer. And a couple of weeks later, my friend was telling me that it was probably like $1,100, $1,200 worth of damage. And he couldn't figure out whether to, like, to turn it into the insurance or not. Like, if he was at that place. You know, is it worth the deductible? Is it not worth the deductible? But I remember thinking, wow, we've had two hit a deer stories like right beside each other. One of them, no damage. The other one, minimum damage. And then fast forward about four weeks later, I was with my friend Doug Couch at this event in Georgia. And I was telling him about this hit a deer thing. And I was like, it's so weird. And as I was telling him this, he goes, well, let me tell you about my cousin. Anytime somebody in the South says, let me tell you about my cousin, lean in, all right? And everybody's a cousin, by the way, in the South. So it could be anybody. And so I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, my cousin, he said, um, he said he was driving down this road in Gatlinburg, and he said as he was driving down this road in Gatlinburg, he said he drives past, it's this like mountain and then road and then stream of water. He said he was driving down this mountainous road, and he goes, and he drive past this truck, and he said, and the truck was kind of pulled over on the side of the road, and he said and he drove past the truck, and, and he, he was wondering why this guy was kind of pulled over weirdly on the road, and he said, and he, the, he said my cousin looks in the rearview mirror, and to see, like, is the guy who pulled over on the side of the road okay? And he said, and he noticed from his rearview mirror, and the guy, the, the guy that was in the truck had this machete, and he was going like this, and there was this woman going, ah! And he said, so he slams his brake, he turns around to look, and, and he's thinking, like, is this guy stabbing this woman? What's going on? And he said, and then all of a sudden he realized what he, what he missed. And what he had missed was this, this, this couple in their truck had their windows down. They were quietly and just beautifully like driving down the road in Gatlinburg. And this deer was coming down on the mountain, you know. And as the deer was coming down on the mountain, they, they see the deer. They try to avoid the deer. So they stop to avoid the deer. But they stop in front of the deer. And the deer somehow like leaps. And the deer gets in the car on the lap of his wife. And this guy reaches under his car seat, the driver's seat, and pulls out. By the way, if you have a machete under your seat, that's the ultimate Jeff Foxworthy, you might be a redneck, all right? But he pulls it out, and he's, he's not butchering his wife. He's saving her life. But he's trying to kill the deer. And when the guy's telling me this, I said, you know what, dude? You win the hit a deer story of all hit a deer story. And the truth of the matter is, I just, in, three, in two and a half minutes, gave you three hit-a-deer stories. One is hit-a-deer, the other one's hit-a-deer, and the other one is hit-a-deer. 
and one is no damage, the other one is minimal damage, and the other one is you will never, ever be the same again. <laughs> now look at me. I think there are people in this room that go, I saw God. There are other people that say, I saw God. And there are other people who go, I saw God. And what I mean by that is it's the same statement, but one of them is, I go to church once in a while. Or I, I call myself a Christian once in a while, whenever it's convenient. Or I pray whenever there's something going on that I feel like, sure, I'll just throw one up to the man upstairs. That's like I have a relationship with God. But then the other one is, no, 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 no. There are seasons in my life when I actually, like, not just Easter, not just Christmas Eve, once I actually do something. And then there's other ones where they go, God and I have collided and I will never be the same. Look at me, everything about Christianity, not just in this story, but everything about Christianity is man and God come together, and man is never, ever the same. And I know it's a weird story, but I'm just saying, like, American Christianity, American churchianity so many times looks like a bump in with God. But biblical Christianity means man comes to the end of himself. And man is never the same. Isaiah comes to the end of himself. And you know, you know you've had an encounter with God that marks you forever when it marks you also for others. Because Isaiah has this encounter with God and after he has this encounter with God, God says to him, who do I send out as a missionary? Who do I send out to those who have yet to encounter God? And Isaiah's response in verse 8 is, hear my Lord. Send me. You know you've been greatly wrecked by the gospel when you become a wrecking ball for the gospel. You know that God has really done a great, magnificent work in your life because what happens internally can't stay private. Christianity might be intimate, but it's never private. Years ago, I was at this camp, and I get there, and there's this young man who was there, and, and they warned me about this young man. They said, when you get camp this guy is going to try to be the biggest rebel he can possibly be at camp he said that look I just want to tell you this is his senior year for years and years this guy's been coming to camp he keeps telling everybody this is his last year his parents are forcing him to come to camp and they said you need to leave him alone and I got there there's 400 people at this at this youth camp and I am like deciding like this is my last year this is the last chance somebody's going to have with this kid and so every one of my sermons is like directed right to him he's he was sitting in the front row so that he could be the biggest distraction he could possibly be pretty hostile to everything we were saying about God and so all my sermons were like some of you tonight might need the Lord you know and, and like I was just hitting a wall with this kid and and we go to the first day of camp nothing second day of camp nothing third day of camp nothing so we get to the fourth final day full day of camp as we got to the fourth day I Asked all the, uh, after the first morning session, uh, the last day of camp, I asked all the adult leaders to come forward. And uh, I said, hey, um, we know that this is this young man's last day. He keeps telling everybody as a senior, he doesn't ever have to come back to Christian camps again. And his mom and dad have been forcing him to come to camp. I said, we've got one more session tonight. Well, uh, you know, anybody got any insight on what I can preach or how I can maybe, should I go meet with him one-on-one? -on -one? Anybody got any ideas? And, and this one lady goes, well, he always sits in the front row so that he can be the biggest distraction. So since we know where he's going to sit down, why don't we cover his seat with prayer? So they signed up. They got out a piece of paper and they signed up for like 15-minute intervals to cover his seat with prayer. This other lady goes, why don't we anoint his seat with oil? 
And so like for the next five, six hours, people were just praying over him and asking God for, for him to do a great work in his life. And we get to that last session and I preached this amazing message on humility or whatever. I don't know. I'm just kidding. So I just preached this message and I get done with the sermon. And during the invitation, he gets up. I mean, we're talking like his senior year, last night at camp, he gets up and I thought, <gasps> and he literally got up and flicked me the bird <laughs> and just left the room. Don't get mad at me. I'm just telling you what happened. And I remember the youth pastor that was in the back of the room who had warned me to like try to like not get distracted about all that God was doing by just only focusing on this one student. He looked at me like, I try to warn you. And the next day camp was over and I, they drove me to the nearest airport and I flew home and all weekend long I was thinking about this young man and I, I get to work on Monday and the youth pastor from the week before calls me and he goes, hey David, uh, we've been trying to get a hold of you all weekend. We got to tell you what happened. He said, dude, we took you to the airport and you flew home. But what you didn't understand is we had like four bus loads worth of teenagers. We had to get home after camp was over. And it was a seven hour bus ride home. He said, and so this young man, the one that, you know, we were talking about, he said, this young man is getting on the buses. And as he's getting on the buses, nobody wants to be sitting with him because he's so mean to everybody and he's just such a, such a jerk. And he said, honestly, like as he's getting on the buses, everybody's going, seat safe, seat safe, seat safe. He goes, except he gets on this one bus and he doesn't realize there's this one kid in our youth group who's decided he's gunning after him. And he said, and he gets on the bus and the guy's like, hey man, you can come sit with me if you want to. <laughs> and he has no idea that this guy has decided, campaign over yet, baby, I got seven more hours on this bus ride. You know how every youth group's got that one teenager in it? The one that memorized Leviticus when he was two. <laughs> Bible drill champion by the time he was nine. Probably a homeschooler. That kid, all right? He's awesome. All right, so he's there. And he goes, hey, man, you can come sit with me if you want to. And he comes and sits with him. And this guy just starts witnessing for seven hours to this guy. He's just talking to him about God, talking to him about God, talking to him about God. And he said, man, and this guy's just talking, talking, talking. And he said, and for six and a half hours, it's just nonstop. And he said, and David, we're like 30 minutes from the church parking lot. We're like in the suburb of our, of our town. And he said, and all of a sudden, the guy that's been listening for six and a half hours just, just blows a gasket. He looks at his friend and he goes, leave me alone. And he goes, and the other guy looks at him and he goes, I'll leave you alone if you'll listen to me for like two minutes. And the other guy goes, I've been listening to you for six and a half hours. And he goes, no, 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 no. You've been listening, but you haven't been hearing can you just actually like listen, o open your heart and listen to me for just two minutes? And he said, and the guy looks at him and he goes, okay, you got my attention for two minutes. By the way, can you imagine if you've been sitting in front of these people for six and a half hours, hearing this behind you, and all of a sudden this guy's going, I'm listening. You know what you're doing? You're praying, right? But you're not the only one praying. You're probably tapping people sitting in front of you going, you need to be praying. They're probably tapping people in front of them going, you need to be praying. They're probably tapping the... Uh, I don't know, bus driver going, you need, the bus driver's probably getting on the walkie-talkie with other buses going, Brooklyn 19, y'all need to be praying. That's going on, right? So, so, so this guy, man, he's like, you know, all of a sudden, the, the, the youth pastor's telling me, this guy starts sharing the gospel with him, and he looks at this other guy, and he says, man, I, I know you've seen a lot of inconsistencies. I know you Christians have let you down, but Christ will never let you down. God so loves you that he gave his one and only son that if you believe in him, you will not perish. You'll have eternal life. And he said, and as soon as he shares the gospel, and he says, you're a sinner, you need a sinner. Savior, Jesus wants to save you. He said, the guy looks at him and he goes, how come no one's ever told me this? To which I said, that's what I've been saying all week. And he said, yeah, but 
isn't it true that no one is better at leading an 11th grader to the Lord than another 11th grader? And he said, and the guy looks at him and he goes, man, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And the next thing you know, on the bus, as they're like literally almost like pulling the bus into the parking lot, the guy gives his life to God. The guy gives his life to Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So that happens on Friday afternoon. And the youth pastor says, dude, that's what happened on Friday. But I got to tell you what happened 24 hours later. He goes, the guy becomes a Christian on Friday afternoon. And then on Saturday night, the guy that became a Christian and the guy that led him to the Lord, they instantly become buddies and they end up going to see a movie together just to kill some time. He said, they walk in this movie theater. It's a packed out movie theater. He goes, they, they finally find two seats. You know how like in the summertime you go to see a movie theater and you, it's like every seat's taken, you know? And you, he goes, they get in there. They got the popcorn with the WD-40 on it that they mortgaged their house to buy, you know, that 50-gallon drum they sell you. And so he said, we're sitting there. He said, and as they're watching the movie previews, he said, during about the second or third movie preview, the film projector breaks down, like a mechanical issue or whatever. And as soon as it breaks down, he said, this guy who's been a Christian for one day looks at his friend and goes, hey, man, why do you think God just broke this projector? And this other guy who's been a Christian goes, what do you mean? He goes, I don't know. Maybe God broke this projector to give us an opportunity to witness to all these people in this theater. And this other guy who's been a Christian for a long time goes, like you said, I'm like the more professional Christian. You need to chill out. This is definitely not the witness to the theater sign. And as he's saying that to him, the projector starts back up again. So this guy that's been a Christian for one day goes, I'm so glad you stopped me from embarrassing myself. If God wanted us to witness to everybody, he'd have kept the projector broken longer, right? And as he's saying that, the projector breaks again for the second time. So all of a sudden, this guy who's been a Christian for one day just stands up. He doesn't know any better. He just stands up. Walks down the aisle, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, goes all the way down the front, stands in front of the entire movie theater and goes, excuse me, I want to take these few seconds while they're fixing the projector back there to say that yesterday, just yesterday, I became this thing called a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus on a bus. My buddy back there led me to the Lord. Stand up, stand up. His buddy's like, how you guys doing? And he sits back down and he goes, I don't even know all the lingo. He's the professional over there. He knows all. I, I can just tell you this. If you've never given your life to Jesus, after this movie is over, my buddy would love to talk to you about Jesus. He'll be standing out there by the popcorn machines. Just please go meet him. And this guy's telling me the story. And the whole time he's telling me the story, I'm thinking, wow, the day before he was avoiding the gospel like immigration. But that doesn't make sense to you. But you know what I'm saying, right? The day before... He wanted to have nothing to do with the gospel. And 25 hours later, he's standing there and he's proclaiming the gospel. Why? Because you've been greatly wrecked by God and then you become a wrecking ball for God. You've been greatly saved and then you go, I found the cure. This is too good to keep to myself. And I know you're hearing this and you're going, man, he's a one-day-old Christian. He doesn't even have any polish. I know a lot of people who don't like have a lack of polish. I know a lot of people who know a lot of great theology, know all the right things to say, all the words that end with the T-I-O-N, justification, sanctification, glorification, but never share the gospel with anybody. But what happened? The guy didn't have a relationship with God, and then he and God collided. He and God had a moment. He and God had a moment that began a movement. And he said, you know what? I now get to testify to the power of the gospel that saved me. So encounters with God 
Encounters with God mark us forever, but encounters with God also mark us for others. And the question that I have for you is, have you ever had an encounter with God that marks you forever? It doesn't have to be traumatic, but it has to be something. It doesn't have to be dramatic, but it has to be something that that literally marks you to where you look back and in the trajectory of your life, you go, this wasn't like a little bump in with religion. The God of this universe resides in me and resides through me. Not in just one compartment of my life, but in every facet of who I am. And wait, a great way to like inventory that is like, do you have a burden for those who have yet to know him? Can I get you just wherever you are to pray with me just if you would? With your heads bowed, can I just ask you a simple question? Has there ever been a moment in your life when you had an Isaiah 6-1 moment? Has there ever been a moment in your life when you didn't have a bump in with God? What I mean by that is you didn't have some religious bump in, some religious behavior moment, some I went to church or I sang a few songs or I prayed a prayer and I felt like an emotional moment. No, more than that. Has there ever been a moment in your life when, when you ask the God of this universe to come and reside in your heart, in your life, to be your everything? Have you ever trusted him? To come to the end of you to say, God, you're high and I'm low. I, I come to you and I say, take what I have and, and, and bring it to the end of itself. And create in me a whole new me. If you've never done that, could it be that today, at this very moment, God is saying, I want this to be your, it was in the year or it was in the Sunday where I came to church and I didn't know that this is what God had predestined and preordained for my life, but God and I collided. And I see that I'm unholy, unholy, unholy without him, but he's holy, 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 but yet he sent his son. He sent his son to live the perfect life and then die a sinner's death on my behalf. If you've never done that, it might be that today God is saying, trust him and come home. Come home. Maybe you know him, but today God is reinvigorating your heart and your passion to be a wrecking ball for the gospel. And what I mean by that is not to be wrecking ball as in being rude or wrecking ball as in being cruel or wrecking ball as in being someone who passes out judgment, but a wrecking ball of love and grace and patience and kindness and goodness. That people would know us by the way that we are extraordinary in the way that we lavish people with grace. Father, we love you and we thank you for the gospel. It's power in our lives. It's power through our lives. If there's anyone here today that's closing their eyes right now to pray and doesn't know you, I pray that um, they would not take lightly that you want the best for them so much that you want to take away the old and create in them a whole new them. If someone already knows you here, Lord, today and they're hearing this, I pray that they would recognize that if God is great, then make him greatly known. That the word of our testimony would be the blood of the Lamb. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, I love you. And I just want to, before we dismiss, give you two things, all right? Uh, two important announcements. Number one, 
Number one, uh, if today you don't have a relationship with God and you'd like to talk to someone, we have some prayer leaders that always linger right around here in the front and there in the lobby, and they would love to connect with you and talk to you about how you can have a relationship with God. Number two, and this is a fun one, we've got ice cream for everybody, all right? So on your way out, just as a way to just say thank you, and this church is just, again, showing you great hospitality, walk out there, and they've got all kinds of ice cream for everybody as an ice cream social. God bless you guys. We love you. We'll see you next week, all right? Thank you so much.